Luke chapter 3, verses 21. When all the people were being baptised, Jesus was baptised too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my son, whom I love, with you I am well pleased. Moving ahead to verse 37. The son of Methuselah, the son of Enoch, the son of Jared, the son of Mahalel, the son of Kenan, the son of Enosh, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, it is said, do not put your Lord, the, God, the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. This is the, uh, actually the second in the series on prayer. And the first one uh, about why we pray was from Genesis 1 to 3. And we saw that God is a speaking God. And Jesus Christ is the word of God through which God has finally and completely spoken to us. But we need to take it a bit further and Today, I'll be speaking about Jesus as the Son of God, and I'll explain about the, the gender status issue there. Um, we need to take it further because it's not just that God calls out to us ultimately in Jesus Christ, it's that we can respond to God only through Jesus Christ because he is God's Son. So being the son of God, let's pray to our heavenly father who gave us his son. Let's invite his help. Father, we pray today that your Holy Spirit will speak to us about what it means to be sons of God. Encourage us as we grapple with the scriptures. Open our hearts. Help us to understand the teaching of scripture 
more than the teaching of our culture on these things. Will you speak to us by your spirit? Confirm us in your grace. Strengthen us in our understanding of who Jesus is for us. In his name we pray. Amen. Well, most families seem to have a, uh, a family historian. They're like the family archaeologist who digs back into ancestry and digs up all the dirt, some good, some not so good. Um, a distant cousin of mine on the Nicholson side of our family has done an awful lot of digging and discovered that my great-great-great-great-grandfather was Sydney's first harbour master. He came out here 200 years ago. And it's interesting, 11 children were descended through the 11th. All kinds of interesting things. My brother has been investigating my mother's side of the family, the Hoskins side. And he can only get back to about 1860. And then it's kind of the record trail goes cold. And he's discovered that a certain Mr Hoskins was a bigamist. And he hadn't divorced his first wife when he remarried and the, the record trail just goes cold. And you never know what you're going to uncover when you go digging in your family tree. Now, Luke does this kind of thing for us because he is a wonderful historian and he's writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and, and he provides us reliable records of what happened in Jesus' life and takes us back through Jesus' genealogy, right back to Adam, the son of God. And so we're going to look at how these things fit together and why he's arranged them that way. Right at the beginning of Luke's Gospel, Luke told us that he had a good understanding, he'd researched these things and he had arranged everything for Theophilus so that he would understand about these teachings. So Luke was no amateur family historian. He was inspired by God. So let's follow this, this train of thought and we'll see it in three ways, this issue of sonship coming out. We'll see it at Jesus' baptism, we'll see it through his genealogy and we'll see it in his temptation. They're connected. And when we get the connection, it helps us understand about prayer. So let's consider Jesus' baptism. So at the commencement of Jesus' public ministry, around the age of 30, he was baptised. Leaving aside age-old arguments over baptism, who should be baptised, how much water and all of that, let's consider what Jesus was doing when he was baptised and the involvement of the Father and the Holy Spirit in that. Luke, what Luke tells us in verses 21 and 22 is simple but profound. Have a look. When all the people were being baptised, Jesus was baptised too. Jesus was baptised. 
Jesus identified himself with everyone else there that day who was baptised. And when you read earlier in the chapter, we know what John the Baptist was doing when he was calling people to be baptised. It was to turn away from their sins, to stop trusting, saying that Abraham is our father. He said, God can raise up from these stones children for Abraham. And when soldiers came to him, he said, be content with your wages. Stop complaining. He, was tell- he preached a baptism of repentance. But Jesus didn't have any sins to repent of. If ever there was someone that didn't need baptism, it would be the Lord Jesus Christ. But what was happening in Jesus' baptism was that God was identifying him as the Son of God. He was identifying with us in his humanity and God the Father and the Holy Spirit testified, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to this guy. He's my word made flesh dwelling among you. So he stood with all those who trusted in John the Baptist's message of repentance and was baptised. Notice what happened when he was baptised. We're told that he was praying. Heaven was opened. God answered his prayer with a sign from heaven. The Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. Jews would have probably identified that either with uh, doves as part of the sacrificial system or maybe probably even with the dove with Noah's ark. Remember the dove that returned to the ark with an olive leaf after God had flooded the world with judgment. And when it was just about time and things had started to regrow, that dove returned with the olive leaf saying... It's, it's okay. The water's receded, the plants are growing, God's judgment is past. These things were a sign from heaven. This is significant. So the voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. So Jesus was affirmed by God as his much-loved son sent to earth from heaven. Our Lord Jesus' baptism was blessed by the other members of the Trinity. If ever there was a sign, that would be it. The Spirit descends and the Father speaks. And the testimony is, you are the Son of God. In those days, Jews who knew their scriptures would have connected this with Psalm 2. Psalm 2 verses 7 and 8 says, I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. So Jesus' baptism was one of identification, not repentance. John the Baptist identifies Jesus as greater than him and he felt unworthy to baptise him, but Jesus insisted do it. And then God the Father identified Jesus as his son. Last weekend in Great Britain, 
we saw the celebration of Queen Elizabeth with the Platinum Jubilee. 70 years ago, she ascended to the throne. That is truly a remarkable feat. She had grown up as a monarch in waiting. Her father, King George VI, was on the throne, but at the age um, when she was 25, he died in 1952 in February, and she became the monarch. She became queen. Her actual coronation was held more than a year later because of the custom that it was not appropriate to celebrate uh, a new, new person on the throne when you're still grieving the one that's died. So they, they allowed a good separation to happen. But she, in that interim time, before her coronation in 1953, was still the Queen of the Commonwealth. It's interesting that last weekend we saw a new monarch in waiting, acting on behalf of the Queen, Prince Charles. Why am I saying this? Because we celebrated 70 years of her accession to the throne, the acknowledgement, you are the new monarch. You are queen of the Commonwealth. And similarly, we see in Jesus' baptism, it's like the father is saying, you are my son. I'm well pleased with you. And the Spirit comes on him, testifying, confirming that. But we don't see Jesus' coronation, if you like, until he ascends to heaven some three years later. And then the Holy Spirit is poured out on the church, just like the Spirit descended on Jesus like a dove. Tongues of fire come on the church. The one who is the Son of God, who triumphs over sin and death by his death and resurrection, ascends to heaven, and the Father crowns him King of kings and Lord of lords. But at the point of Jesus' baptism, it's the identification. Get this, see this, take hold of this, note this. This is my son. Now look at the genealogy. The gene, it's, it's quite interesting. Why would you put a genealogy in chapter 3? Matthew has his genealogy in chapter 1. He starts his gospel with a genealogy, and only Luke and Matthew have genealogies. Why wait till chapter 3? And why wait until he's about 30 years of age? Why, why position the genealogy between his baptism and his temptation in the wilderness? For us, it doesn't make a great deal of sense. But if you look at Matthew's genealogy, we, we won't do that now, but um, I'll just make two observations contrasting the two that help us get this. Luke places his genealogy in his gospel for a reason right where he does. And the way Luke traces Jesus' ancestry back through Adam to God is different from how Matthew does it. Matthew begins his gospel with that genealogy and, and he starts with, with Abraham and he goes 14 generations to David 
Then he goes another 14 generations to the exile in Babylon. Then he goes another 14 generations to the arrival of Jesus. And he's showing that the Lord Jesus Christ fulfills the promise to Abraham. He fulfills the promise to David. He's the one who brings us out of exile. It's a very stylized Jewish way of doing it. But the way Luke arranges his genealogy is how we would do it. He starts with Joseph and works back to Adam. Instead of starting with an ancestor and working forward. And he positions it here because he's showing us a point. And you see the point in verse 38. It, there's a bit of a contrast also with the comment about Joseph. It says, as, as he was supposed to be Joseph's son. So now Jesus himself was about 30 years of age when he, was, when he began his ministry. Verse 23, he was the son, as it was thought, of Joseph. We know that God was his father, Mary was his mother. Joseph was not his biological father. But when you trace it back, verses 37 and 38, the son of Methuselah, the son of Enoch, the son of Jared, the son of Mahalel, the son of Kenan, the son of Enosh, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. Why is Luke doing this? He's traced Jesus' descent back to Adam, who was the first son of God with whom God was not well pleased, who had sinned. And this happens right after the baptism where we hear, this is my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. And the contrast is making the point, this is the true son of God. Now, if we move into the temptation in the, in the wilderness, we'll see that confirmed even more. Straight after the genealogy, Luke recounts how the Holy Spirit, who came upon Jesus of Nazareth at his baptism, leads him into the desert to be tempted by the devil. There was a contest, a showdown. Twice Satan taunted Jesus if you are the son of God. He's trying to cast doubt on Jesus' identity as the son of God and to disqualify from him from his mission like he'd successfully disqualified the first son of God, Adam. If you're the son of God, worship me and I'll give you all your heart's desire is the basic thrust of the three temptations. But no, said Jesus, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread, verse 3. Verse 9. The devil said to him, he led him to Jerusalem, had him stand on the highest point of the temple and said, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. The devil's barbs were aimed at Jesus' sonship. Now, all Jesus' prayers on earth were heard because he was the true son of God. 
When Jesus was born, Mary was told, the child that will be born to you will be called the Son of God. Luke 1.35. We know at the end of Luke 2, like Graham reminded us before, Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favour with God and man. Favour. The one with whom God was well pleased. The baptism confirms it. The genealogy shows it, and in the temptation, he reveals it because he stands up and resists where the first son of God failed. Let me just just make one more comment and, and then give an illustration on this. Hebrews 5 verse 7 says, Jesus' prayers were heard because of his reverent submission. It's because of his obedience as the son of God that God hears his prayers. It was because he is the son who has been made perfect forever, it says in Hebrews 7, 24 and 28. The son who has been made perfect forever. As the true human being, the perfect Adam... His prayers will always be acceptable to his Father. They will never be rebuffed because as God's Son, he has infinite access to him. Now, the story is told of right back in the time of John F. Kennedy in the Oval Office in the United States. They were having an important meeting. And John F. Kennedy had given orders to the staff and security under no circumstances should anyone come in and interrupt this important meeting. Anyway, they're in the thick of discussion. The door bursts open and someone walks in. He walks right in. It's a little boy. And he jumps up on John F. Kennedy's lap and cuddles him. Says, hello, Daddy. Where no one else had access to the president, the son had access to his father. You can imagine the the shock and the the kind of um, surprise that would have gone on in a meeting like that. But what no one else could have done, John F. Kennedy Jr. could do because he was the son of the president. Now, you might think, okay, all right, I'm, I'm starting to hear all this, but I can't see the relevance for me. I can't see how Jesus being the true son really helps me in my praying. I'm not the son of a president. I'm certainly not Jesus. I can't pray as Jesus can. How, how does all this help me? Where do I fit in? The truth is... If you are a Christian believer, you do have the same access to the Father that Jesus had. You can do a John F. Kennedy Jr. because you are adopted children of God. I only have five people on the planet that can call me Dad. These days they tend to say, oh, Dad, the sick Dad jokes or something like that. But unless, of course, I, I adopt some children. Listen 
to what the scriptures tell us. This is what the Apostle Paul says. When the set time had fully come, Galatians 4, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you, you are no longer a slave, but a God's child. And since you are his child, God has also made you an heir. Wow. The point is that Christians share in the inheritance of the firstborn, Jesus himself. Now, just a little comment about gender here. Sonship in the Bible is not a gender issue. It's a status issue. Inheritance rights were always down through the firstborn son. And Jesus is the firstborn son, God's firstborn. We're explicitly told that. But think of this. Outside of Christ, men are no, no closer to being sons of God than women. It's not about whether you're male or female. It's whether you are adopted into God's family through faith in Jesus Christ. And he is the son of God. So in Christ, our gender does not affect our standing with God either way. We're, we all share in what belongs to Jesus Christ, the true son of God, the acceptable human being before God. Jesus is that true human being that Adam failed to be. So you can imagine when God walked with Adam in, in the garden and he's calling out to Adam. He didn't call out to, for a hippo. He didn't call out for an armadillo or a bird or anything else. He called out for Adam, his son, his son on earth, and Adam had betrayed his father and plunged the whole human race into sin. When Jesus comes along and he identifies with the descendants of Adam and he's baptised, the father says, this is one I'm pleased with. This is my son. The devil knew this and tried to discredit this. And Jesus kept saying no. Where Adam said yes and disobeyed, Jesus said no to Satan and obeyed. And all who have faith in Jesus Christ, the true son of God, are able to walk with God and be his children, adopted into the household of faith, children of the living God, Think about the contrast that Ephesians 2 gives us. Once we were children in slavery in this world. Ephesians 2, 2 says, We were sons of disobedience, following the prince of the power of the air. Our father is no longer the devil. Jesus had said, You are of your father the devil. But those who follow and trust in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the devil is not our father. God is our father. 
And we are adopted by God through faith in Jesus Christ. So we get tempted at times, though, don't we, to think that God will hear our prayers because of our earnestness or because of how we're going, what our track record's like, how obedient we are. We are tempted to think, have I been good and faithful this week? Uh, what kind of a week have I had? Yeah, it's not been too bad a, a week. Um, I, I think God will hear my prayers. Or you might think to yourself, if I pray long, intense prayers, I'll become like a prayer warrior and I'll, I'll set aside a day of prayer and I'll have regular days of prayer and I'll storm the gates of heaven, God will be well pleased with me. Friends, if you think like that, you are undermining the gospel. You are denying the gospel. God does not receive any of us because of our earnestness, because of our diligence. He receives us for the sake of the son that he loves. We are sons of God by adoption through faith in Jesus Christ. So God will hear us. Because we are his sons, he cannot not hear us. He will hear us. You come to the Father clothed with the very righteousness of Christ. His very own spirit is in us. The spirit of adoption by which we cry, Abba, Father. Your prayers and mine will not be heard because of our faithfulness, but because of the faithfulness of the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. That's what it means to be a son of God, to turn away from your sins and to turn away from your own efforts at righteousness and to trust in Jesus, the perfect son, the last Adam, who fulfilled all righteousness and God receives our prayers in the name of his son. Don't think about yourself when you're praying. Think about Jesus Christ. Looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Think about how faithful he is. Not about how faithful you may or may not be. Be assured God will receive you if you come through his son. No one comes to the Father except through me. And all who come to the Father through me, he will not turn away. That's the hope that we have in being the sons and daughters of God. The Bible puts it as sonship because Jesus is the son of God. And we are accepted in the son. And so we have sonship. Listen to what Romans 8, 15 and 16 says. The spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. So prayer is the audible evidence that we're adopted into God's family. 
When we pray and we pray in the name of the Son of God, God receives us and that spirit of adoption bubbles out of us in terms of relating to our Heavenly Father. Prayer is the hallmark sign that God's Abba Father Spirit lives in us. When the Apostle Paul, uh, before he was the Apostle Paul, when he was Saul the persecutor, when he was converted, what, what was the person who went to him told that he would find? He's praying. He's praying. Prayer is the sign of our adoption. So Luke helps us understand this by how he arranges his material. He arranges the material with a purpose and a reason. We do the same sort of thing uh, with a CV. So we put our CV together and we arrange things in such a way that, it, that our most suitable qualifications will stand out for a prospective employer. In 2015, I took a year off and I didn't know if I'd go back into um, pastoral ministry or not. So I thought at one stage, oh, I reckon I could get a job at Officeworks. So I went online and found out they've got all the details there. And I, so I applied for a job at Officeworks. So how do you make 33 years of doing funerals, weddings, ba baptisms, uh, counselling people, discipling people, look like you would make a good salesman at Officeworks. Well, I did my level best with my CV and I extracted things and I arranged it and I put it all together. And what I got back amounted to this. Thank you for your application. We don't think you're the kind of person that we're looking for. <laughs> so I, I sort of, I licked my wounds and consoled myself, well, Officeworks mightn't like me and want me, but God does. <laughs> we should... Find our acceptance with God, not with anything else. He cares for us. He's the one who will look after us. He's a father to us. How precious is that? How wonderful is that? So Jesus Christ is not only God's ultimate word to us, but the only way we can come to God. When we come to God through Jesus Christ, we receive a hearing. We are accepted in the son he loves. The spirit of adoption, alive and well, shown in how we pray. Let's pray.